Thank you, Caden. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Let's try. Yeah, there we go. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. So thankful that we're getting to, to spend this time together today. And as we study the, the book of Habakkuk, like, I, I don't think I have ever been at a church that ever studied the book of Habakkuk. So this has been a new experience for me, um, possibly for, for you as well, studying through this book. I hope that, that you've, I, I would say enjoy it, but it's not really the most enjoyable book. I hope you've been encouraged and you've learned uh, along the way as we've kind of walked through this book together. Uh, I know I have. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and stay flipped open to Habakkuk 2. Uh, we'll be just walking through that here in just a minute. Uh, and as we get ready, as you're flipping there, as we look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk really is one of the most unusual prophets. Like, as, as we look at him, what he does is he does something that's completely different than, than other prophets that we find in Scripture. Other prophets speak to the people of Israel. He speak to God's people on God's behalf, telling them, you know, turn away from your sin. That's not what we see with Habakkuk. What we see with Habakkuk is there's this internal struggle. There's this internal crisis that is going on in his life, and he is speaking to God personally in this moment. He is meeting him here and he's speaking to God in this and through this moment. And I'll be real honest, like as dark and as devastating and difficult as this book is, I'll just say it is a, it's a comfort for me to read Habakkuk's struggle. It, it's a comfort to me to realize that the God, godly people understand. They know what it's like to go through difficulty. They know what it's like to go through trouble. They understand what it's like. God knows what it's like. God understands. And that's been a, a real comfort for me as we've been studying this book. So as we dive into to chapter two, I just want to, just a raise of hands. Has anyone ever had one of those moments where things just went from bad to worse? Anyone ever had one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those, one of those years, like the last like I don't know, 20, 21 months. Like that's kind of the way, like just moments where things just go from bad to worse. And like, as I was reading these, these five sorrows, these woes that are laid out here in the book of Habakkuk, like, man, that's what I was thinking. It's like, things just keep going bad to worse for these guys. And so this week I was reading some stories about things going from bad to worse. And I thought maybe we could identify with, with some of these. Here, here's the first one. I got rear-ended by a truck. I pulled over to check on my boot on a hilly street. The car parked behind me, rolled downhill, and crushed me between crushed me between it and my newly messed up boot. Suffered a few broken ribs. Things went from bad to worse. This one was my favorite. I was a manager in a hotel in Oakland. A valet parker took my, our guest Corvette out for a joyride. He lost control of the car in a residential area, crashed into a parked car in the driveway. The Corvette and the parked car smashed through the home's garage door and caught on fire. The home part, partly burnt down. The valley was caught by police a block away, fleeing on foot with a broken leg. Like, yeah, that's a bad day. Things go from bad to worse. Um, here's another one. I had a tooth pulled and got dry socket. Finally recovered, had an implant surgery, got dry sockets again. Also, I found out laughing gas gives me panic attacks. If only just going to the dentist is a bad day enough, let alone having a panic attack, getting dry sockets. Here, here's the last one. This was about 10 years ago. My boyfriend called me in the morning and dumped me over the phone. I was really upset and I forgot about the clothes that I was washing at the time. And I had to go into work out of dress code. Of course, this would be the one day that our district manager has ever showed up. And I was written up on the spot for being out of dress code. 
Spent my entire break crying because the universe hated me. But wait, it gets worse. When I got home that evening, I had a notice of eviction taped to my door because apparently I had been illegally subletting my apartment from someone and had no clue. I didn't even cry at that point. I just said, yep, seems about right for today. You guys had those moments, right? Those times where things just go from bad to worse. And like, this is what we see like with with the Babylonians here. Like as we start laying out the things that these people are doing, like, man, it goes from bad to worse. I said this last week, and I just want to make sure we reiterate this. The Babylonians aren't upstanding citizens. They're not good quality people. They're, they're terrible people. As we read, look at this. Like they become rich by extortion. Their money is gained dishonestly. If that's not bad enough, then their money is gained through corruption and murder. We find this, they, they force their cup on people to, to drink it so that they can gloat over their shameful nakedness. They make wooden idols and say, wake up and save us. Like as, as we read this and we see what begins to happen, like the people of Babylon, they're, they're not good people. And their lives and what they begin to do, they just start going from bad to worse. And as people in Babylon continue to go, their darkness and their sinfulness, it just continues to grow larger and larger. And friends, this is the reality of what sin does in our lives, is it just continues to grow. If sin is not checked, if we are not confessing our sin, if we are not turning from our sin, it just continues to grow. Naturally, like without Jesus, without God, we don't just become better people. We don't get better and better. No, we just become worse and worse. We become more selfish, more greedy, more lustful, more whatever it may be. And our sin just continues to grow and grow. And that's what we see here is like their, their, their sin continues to morph and it gets worse and worse. And as I was reading through like the things that these Babylonians do that, that God is saying, what sorrow awaits them because they have done this? I was reminded of Paul's words in Romans 1 where Paul speaks of the people. He says they invent ways of doing evil. And that's how I feel. When I read about these Babylonians, that's what it seems like. They invent ways of doing evil. And so what Babylon does for us, in a, in a, in a sense, they serve as a, an object lesson of what it looks like for people who overstep God's bound. And the entire, entire story, it really is a continuation of what God said last week. So last week we were reading, Habakkuk has mentioned to God, he said some things, he's brought some concerns to God, and God answers him. And one of the things he says, if you flip back a few verses to four and five, God says this, he says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. And their greed, in their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many people. You guys see the progression there? Pride leads to sin. Sin leads to death and destruction. When I was a kid, my mom used to quote some Bible verses to me. One Bible verse in particular. And like my mom was a good, she is a good godly woman, a good godly mom. And she would quote these Bible verses to me, but it's not the one that you would probably think. Like my mom didn't quote, uh, she didn't say, uh, you are the light of the world. She didn't quote that Bible verse to me all the time. She didn't quote, there's nothing in, in all of earth that can separate you from the love of God. 
That's not the verse she quoted to me. She didn't quote like, God works all things for good of those who love the Lord. Those are great verses that my mom could have quoted to me. But the Bible verse that she quoted to me most often was this. Pride goes before destruction. Anytime I'd be getting a little prideful, anytime I'd be getting a little arrogant, my mom would look at me and say, hey, Luke, pride goes before destruction. Thanks for that, mom. And it's like she saw this in me. She saw this pride that was coming up and that she knew, like she would quote this Bible verse to me time and time again. And this is what we see. Like this is what happens with the Babylonians is this pride as they continue to conquer people and they continue to get more and more powerful. This pride just continues to, to billow up and, and it leads them into sin and their sin is it, it's terrible. And here's the thing. Here's what I want us to understand. As a, as a, as a whole, the destination of sin is regret, guilt, and death. That's, that's where sin leads every time. The destination of holiness is joy, peace, and life. We see the summary of this in, in, in Habakkuk 2.4. where It says that the righteous will live by faith. As we live this righteous life, as we live this holy life, it leads to, it leads to joy. It leads to peace. It leads to life. And I don't think there's a single one of us here in this room that wouldn't raise our hand and say, and I want more joy in my life. I want more peace in my life. I don't think any of us would say that. We, we all want that. But sin, it leads to death. It leads to guilt. It, it leads to regret. Just, just think about this for a second. Have you guys ever woke up in the middle of in the morning and said, man, my sin sure gave me a good night's sleep. Anyone ever had one of those moments? Like, oh man, my sinfulness, I just, I'm so rested because of my sin. Anyone? No, we don't, that doesn't happen, does it? No, the opposite thing is true, right? Like sin brings regret. And, and so what we see is like sin can be fun, sure. If sin isn't fun, you're not doing it, right? But the reality is like it ends in, in sorrow. It ends in regret. It ends in guilt. And this is the destination of it. And so we see that God is answering Habakkuk. Habakkuk has asked this question in, in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And God is going to respond to Habakkuk. And what we see is God doesn't respond with a time. God doesn't respond with, a, with when this is going to happen. But God responds with a declaration. He tells Habakkuk what they're doing, it's not gone unnoticed. The way that they, the sinfulness that they're living, it is, it has caught my attention. I haven't missed this. And so Habakkuk is, God is telling Habakkuk, like, I, I've, I've, I'm paying attention. I see what's going on. I know what's happening and I am going to do something about it. I am going to deal with this. And so God declares what sorrow, or maybe your, your translation says, woe. And so this word can be translated in either way. What it, what it literally means is how awful it will be. For those who are living outside of the, the plans, the design for God, that God has for us. How awful, how terrible, what sorrow, woe to whoever is living outside of God's plan, his desires, and his design. So living outside of God's design leads only to sorrow. But we see this playing out for Babylon. We see this as a whole as well. That living outside of God's design and his plans or his purpose leads only to sorrow. Think about this. Think about, think about a marriage. If we don't live in the design that God has for marriage, it leads to sorrow. 
If we don't live within the design of, of the, what God has to, that he says about sexuality, maybe we say, I can do with whatever I want, with whoever I want. You can't say anything about it. We live outside of God's design and it, it leads to sorrow. Maybe it's friendships. We're, we know like we need to have some good godly people in our corner, people who have our best interests in mind, but, but we don't want to do that. And so we, we begin grabbing friends and gravitating to people outside of the faith and like those people are important, but it leads to sorrow. And this is what we see throughout Scripture. Is like if we don't live within the design that God has for us, it leads only to sorrow. So we see the contradiction. We see the, the parallel that takes place is that, that godly people, humble people, live righteous lives for God. Whereas the haughty people, prideful people, face God's justice and His wrath. And so as we begin looking through each one of these sorrows, what I want us to see is I want us to see the way that it begins to snowball. I want us to see the way that it begins to grow. So it starts with the Babylonians. It starts on a personal level. It talks about you, singular people, you as a, as a people. Then we see it, it, it gravitates, it, goes, it gets bigger and larger from there, and it's, it's now an entire nation. And then it goes to, to other nations, surrounding nations as well, who are being called up in the sin. And this is what sin does. Is sin is always communal. There is always collateral damage. There is always other people that are harmed. There are other people who are always brought into our sin. We don't like to think of it that way. But it's always the case. Kids, whether current or, or future kids, will be caught up in the, the trap, will be caught up in the mess of the, the sin that we have. Friends, co-workers, family, the church will be caught up in our sin. And we start to see this. There's always collateral damage. So let's walk through these together. Let's look at each one of these woes, starting in, in verse 6 through, through 8. Here's what it says. It says, But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves, now that you get now that you sorry, now you will get what you deserve. You have become rich by extortion. How much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action, and they will turn on you and take all that you have. While you stand trembling and helpless, because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. Catch these phrases in, in verse 6. They will taunt you. They will mock you. We've talked about Habakkuk being kind of a dark book. This is This is dark. What Habakkuk is saying, what is being pronounced here, this is a funeral chant that is going on. Is like they are taunting the Babylonians. They are chanting this at their funeral is what is happening here. And so we see what, they, what the, the sorrow is, is people who have been getting rich by extortion. They've been ripping people off. Perhaps they've put up money for a loan or they've put up security for a loan and they've taken that, that security and they've used it to make themselves wealthy. There was this problem with inflation where they would just raise the price of things for people so much so that people would literally die because they couldn't afford simple necessities of life. They would just extort people and become rich and become super wealthy. And as we read through these sorrows, they are dark, they are painful, they are hard to, hard to deal with. But what I love about these 14 verses is there are just little moments of light that begins shining through. There's little cracks in the darkness that start shining through some light for us, and we see one of these. As there's this moment, one of the themes that we begin to see is there's a transition that is going to happen. Is with these sorrows, the victim is going to become the victor. 
And this is, this is what we see. Look at, verse, look at verse 8. We see one of these. It says, Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. They were victims of plunder, but one day they're going to they're have the victory of plunder. They're going to receive the spoils of war. They're going to be able to get the things that were taken away. Again, the, victor, the victim is going to become a, uh, a, vic, a victim, sorry, is going to become a victor. Let's continue reading the next one, verses 9 through 11. What sorrow awaits you who, builds big ho- you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you commit, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the wall cry out against you, and the beams in the ceiling echo the complaint. You guys notice the statement in verse 9? If you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to highlight this and underline this. I think this is powerful. You believe your wealth will buy security. It's a lie. They've bought into a lie. What we find is in Proverbs 23, verse 5, one of my favorite ber- or verses in Proverbs, it says, cast but a glance at riches, because surely it will sprout wings and fly away. And I'm just like, yeah, Solomon was looking at my bank account each week. And it's like, somehow, some way, it sprouts wings and it flies away, and I don't even know where it goes. And, they, and so there's this desire. People have put their wealth, they've put their security in their money, thinking that that is going to be the thing that's going to, to be there for them. That's not going to be the thing that's going to hold them tight, but it's, but it's a lie. They think that's where security lies, and, and it's not. And so we can see this when it comes to money, but I think this is also true as a whole, is when we start living outside of the design that God has for us, we start living in the way of the world, things start to get off track. Because what we find is God is a God of truth. All truth is God's truth, and, and He speaks the truth always. But when we start listening to, to our world, something begins to happen. Because Satan is described in, in the scriptures as the prince of this, of this world. There's another descriptive term for him, which is he is the father of lies. And guys, it does not take a hard look at all around our world to see that there is a father of lies speaking lies into this world. Just, just think about this. The fact that it is 2021 and racism is still a thing that, there is, that is a problem. That is an issue. It is very clear that there is a father of lies who is speaking on this. The fact that there are still humans who are trafficked into slavery means that there is a problem. The fact that the pornography industry is so powerful, the fact that people are being human trafficked to be part of this pornography industry shows that there is a father of lies who is speaking lies into this world. The fact that there is abandonment where people are walking away, walking out on their families shows that there is a problem. The fact that there's even a, ever been an issue with child abuse shows that there is a problem in our world. There's a father of lies who is speaking this truth. There is a, there's, the fact that there's addiction in our world it means there's a father of lies who's been speaking. The fact that suicide is the number one killer of teenagers in Ireland shows that there is a father of lies that is speaking that there is a problem. And we have began to buy into the lies. And this is what they have done is there's these lies that they have began to buy into. They think money is going to bring security. And so I have just two questions for us. One is to ponder. And these are a little bit hard-hitting. They've been wrestling with me. I've been wrestling with these this week. Here's the first question. What are some of the lies that you are believing? What are some of the lies that you are believing? 
Maybe the lie is, I don't really have to go to church. Like, I can, I can just join in online. I can, I can sit by the, the Spanish arch with a beer and some pizza, and that'll be church. Like, it, it's, a, it's a lie. We need each other. Stephen said this at the beginning. We need to be together. We need to come to church. We need to be here. Maybe the lie is, God just wants me to be happy. It's not, not completely true. It's a lie. Maybe the lie we start to believe is, well, God didn't really mean that. Like we read the Bible and we're like, well, God maybe meant, meant that for, for those people. Like there, they were less mature, less sophisticated than, I, than we are. I, it, it won't happen to me. I know God said this, but I'm the exception. It, it's a lie. Maybe the, the lie is, it's not a big deal. And I think this is one of the things that Satan starts to speak to all of us. This is one of the biggest lies that I think Satan says is, hey, it's not really a big deal. No one is really getting hurt by this. We just talked about someone definitely is getting hurt by this. Or this that's a lie. It's not hurting anyone. Maybe the lie that we build into is this job or this relationship or this partner or this, this moment, this, this, this person will bring me value, meaning, and worth in my life. So the question, ask this of yourself. Ask God to reveal this to you. What are the lies that you are believing? Here's the second question. What are some things that you have wrongly put your security into? So what are some of the things that you are thinking, this is what will bring me security? That car, that relationship, that partner, that job, that body, that education, that, that bank account number. Like what are the things that we are placing our security and be like, if I can achieve this, if I can get here, then all will go well for me. It, it's a lie. Look at the end of verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, you have shamed your name and forfeited your life. You have shamed your name and you have forfeited your life. The things that we think bring life only bring death. This is, this is what we see. Is there, they've put their, their value and their money, they've put their security here. They think this is going to be the thing that brings life, but yet it only, it only brings death. And some of you know what this is like. Some of you can look back at your life and see the things that you have placed security in, see some of the things that you thought were going to bring you meaning and value and worth, and you look back and you see there's just a trail of broken hearts a mile long behind you. Hear me on this, friends. Anything outside of Jesus is a dead pursuit. Anything outside of Jesus is a dead pursuit. If we are not pursuing him first, everything else is dead. And this is really, as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the entire, this is the meaning of the entire book. Like Solomon uses his life as a case study. So he tries anything and everything to bring him value, to bring him meaning. And he says it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He concludes the book by saying, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the full duty of a man. He says like, this is the place. This is the only place where we will find meaning, that we will find life, where we will find value. I find verse 11 so incredibly fascinating. This is what it says. It says, the very stones of the wall cry out against you and the beams in the ceiling echo the complaint. Literally the wickedness of Babylon has become so bad that objects are crying out. That's how bad this is. This is how bad they have become. Let's keep reading. Next sorrow, 12 through 14. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? 
They work so hard, but all in vain. As the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of God. We can spend our lives building a dynasty. We can spend our lives building a city. We can spend our lives building a career. We can spend our lives building a name for ourselves. We can spend our lives building a bank account. And at the end of the day, it will. It's going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. So my daughter, Ava, she's uh, gotten to the stage where she loves building towers. So we'll get out the blocks and we'll build these towers together. And the thing is, she's two. And so when the, block, the tower gets a little too high, it begins to fall. Or even like when she gets, them, she gets a lot built, and there'll be like tons of towers around our house. And then like Godzilla, her little sister, Emma, comes in. And it, it never fails. Emma goes straight for the towers and they fall. Or Maddie or Allie, our dogs will come and knock them over. But every once in a while, like I'll build a tower with her. And I'll start building this nice big tower and it'll look incredible. And then Ava will come and she'll just be like, I need this one. And she'll just like grab the block and my entire tower falls down. And I'm just like, what are you doing, child? And then I have to remind myself, hey, I'm 30. It's just a tower. Let it go. And it's like just this moment. But I was just reminded, like, this is what, this is what, this is what they do. It's apart from Jesus. Like, we can build these, we can build these dynasties. We can build these towers. And they're just going to fall. And this is what we see here, is the cities, is, it's, it's, it's meant to capture this idea of the, the human culture around us. I mean, think back to the Tower of Babel. We're, we're all about building towers and trying to build towers, and at some point, they're all going to fall. It's never going to last. Catch this phrase at the end of verse 13. It says, they work so hard, but all in vain. They work so hard, but all in vain. Friends, if we toil, labor, or work for things apart from God, it's all in vain. This is where it's going to end. You might have a really nice car. You might have those that six packs that you've been looking for. You might have a really successful career. You may have loads of knowledge. You may have degrees and certs and plaques on your wall. You may have really smart or good and athletic kids. You may have tons of friends. And those things are fine. But apart from God, they are all in vain. The writer of, of Psalm 127 says, unless the builders... Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. And here's what we begin to see, is that we have this another little moment. And so things have been really down right now. But there's this moment of light that begins shining through in the darkness again in verse 14. It says this, it says, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. The kingdom of darkness it may attempt to continue to extend. It may continue to grow in places, sure. But its time, its rule, and its reign, it is coming to an end. When we, like Habakkuk, are overwhelmed by the darkness of our world, when we are overwhelmed by the sinfulness of our world, when we are overwhelmed by the evilness that is going on around us, we, like Habakkuk, can find certainty. We can be assured that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. We can find ourselves there. We can anchor ourselves here. We can look up at the skies and, and, and quote the psalm that the heavens declare the glory of God. We can be reminded of what Paul says that one day 
Every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on earth and under the earth. Everyone is going to bow before the king. The real king is going to return. And darkness is going to be defeated. And there's this moment where the glory of God is going to continue to expand into the entire world. The awareness of him. Friends, wickedness will fail. And the gospel will prevail. Wickedness will fail. And the gospel will prevail. And this is what we see is one day. One day this is going to happen. Let's read the the next sorrow. Verse 15. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink, and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all the glory will be turned to shame. You who cut down the forest of Lebanon, now you will be cut down. You destroy the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You commit murder throughout the countryside and, the, and fill the towns with violence. So what we begin to see is, is literally what we're saying is they're forcing their, their cup of their, on someone so that they can gloat over their nakedness. And so they're hoping to humiliate. They want to humiliate people. They want to take advantage of them, whether it's, it's physically, sexually, financially. This is what they want. They just want to take advantage of them. And we can truly, in verse 17, I think it really captures how evil the people of Babylon are. Like first, they, they destroy, they destroy the, the world. They destroy the land. They cut down the trees of Lebanon. They don't take care of our, our world. The next thing that they do is they, they kill wild animals. And like for some of us, like that's, that's even worse. Like we, this week I was, I was reading this message board about this person who asked this question is like, why do I get more sad when animals die in a movie than when people do? And he was worried. He's like, am I a psychopath? Like, and there was like 50 or 60 other people that came alongside. and was like, yeah, like I feel the same way. And I was started thinking about this. You guys seen that movie, I Am Legend with Will Smith? I cried like a baby when the dog died. Like I was just, I, it was so sad. And there was this moment as like, we as people, like we get more sad when animals die. They, they kill the animals. That's how bad they are. The next thing, they kill people. I mean, for most of us, maybe it's not as sad as the animals, but still it's, it's not good. But then they continue to incite violence into many other nations. And we, we begin to see how, how dark they are. But the darkness, it won't last. Their evil will not continue to rule and it won't continue to reign. Verse 16, it says this, it says, Soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come and drink and be exposed. Drink of the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all your glory will be turned to shame. This phrase, the, the, the cup of the Lord's judgment, is, is one that's popular throughout Scripture. It's this pouring out, it's this, this cup of, of God's wrath and His justice that is, is going to happen. If you guys remember when Jesus is in the garden, He says, may your cup be taken from me. And so what we see here is that justice is going to be poured out on Babylon. And we, we can trust God's justice. We can trust him here. We can trust that God is going to do something about evil. And that is the question Habakkuk is asking God, how can you let such an evil people continue to do these things? And God says their time is short. It's not going to continue. It's not going to last forever. Let's look at this last, last one here, verse 18 and 19. It says, what good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to a wooden idol, wake up and save us. 
To speechless, stone image, to speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. I think it's really powerful that the last sorrow is about idolatry. I, don't, I think it's fitting that this is the moment, this is where God wraps this up here. It's, it's in this moment because what begins to happen when we have idols in our lives, when we have idolatry in our hearts, we start to create our own moral standard. We start to say, okay, this is right and this is okay because this, this appeases my God. We see this with Babylon. Like clearly they don't feel bad for the things that they're doing because it is serving their God. And likewise, like in our lives, we will have no problem living sinful lives if it appeases the God that we have set up. If it appeases the God that is most important in our lives, maybe, maybe for you it's money. Like that's most important. And you will work ridiculously long hours. You will take any overtime that you can. You will lie. You will cheat. You will steal. You will sacrifice your kids and your family on the altar of work and money and, and success. You'll do all these things because that's, that's your God. That's what you're chasing after. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe you're like, I am most important, so I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I'm going to look at whatever I want. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to drink whatever I want because it is what is going to give me pleasure. And it is okay because that is what's most important to me. And we start to rationalize these things. Or maybe it's ourself. Maybe just our own status is what's most important to us. And we're willing to lie about other people so that we have a better view than them. We will step over people. We'll say, well, you know, I'm most important. I'm number one, so I will do whatever. I will do whatever I can to look out for me, not for other people. And we start to see, like, we, we begin to, to sacrifice ourselves to, to these idols. We give away our, our integrity. We give away our purity. We give away our families. We, we start sacrificing all these things because the God that we are chasing after, we, we've created this own moral system to appease those gods. And to fill in that, that moment, this is what the Babylonians have done. And so what we find is like when we sacrifice to these other gods apart from God, like they're, they're empty. They're, they're powerless. Catch this phrase at the end of verse 19. It says this, but they are lifeless inside. Friends, that's the reality of anything that we are chasing outside of Christ. That is the reality of anything that we are chasing outside of God. They are lifeless inside. And so we make this sacrifice. We make the sacrifice to following Jesus. And the sacrifice is our, our, is our very life. We give it all to him, but what we find out is this is the only pursuit that's worth pursuing. It is the only place where we can find life. We can find real life, true life, meaning life, eternal life. Let's wrap this up by looking at verse 20. God finishes speaking here. He says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I love this. I love that this is the moment, that this is where he concludes all of his speaking. Here's what God is saying. Is God can be found where he has always been. God can be found where he has always been. He is in his holy temple. He is still Lord. He is still ruling. He is still reigning. God has not forgotten. God has not abandoned. God has not turned away. God has not forsaken his people. Sure, they are being punished, but God has not forgotten them. God is still Lord. He is still king. He is still ruling and reigning. He is still on his throne. And God is reminding Habakkuk, God, I see all this around you. I know this darkness that's happening. But Habakkuk, remember, 
I am still God. Trust me. And Habakkuk starts this, this, this second complaint with, with quoting God's character and God is reminding him, I am still here. I am still God. And he is the God. He is the only God that is worth living for. He's the only God that is worth worshiping. He is the only God that can be trusted. He is the only way that doesn't lead to sorrow. It's the only way that doesn't lead to death. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for, for who you are. 